I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm Joel Corey, uh, your host. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, yesterday was the uh, deadline for franchise players to sign long-term deals uh, for at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, that was when the long-term deals needed to be done. If you didn't sign a long-term deal as a franchise player by that time, you can't sign a long-term deal until the end of the 2020 regular season on January 3rd, 2021. Uh, Two players signed long-term deals as the deadline was approaching. Monday, Chris Jones got a deal done, and Derrick Henry got one done at the 11th hour. We'll talk about those later, but we'll talk about first the big one that didn't get done, and that is Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Um, there weren't any talks scheduled for Prescott and the Cowboys to try to reach an agreement, but um, there was a last-minute or last-ditch effort to try to get a deal done right before the deadline. Um, NFL Network's Jane Slater uh, was reporting that the final offer was for five years, averaged between 33 and $35 million per year, with $110 million in overall guarantees. $50 million of the 110 was in a signing bonus, and there was $70 million in the first two years of the contract. Um, previous reports had pegged the uh, offer on the table at $35 million per year. So why wasn't a deal done? Uh, big sticking point was length of contract. Um, seems to me both sides were playing a high-stakes game of chicken and wanted to see who would blink first. Neither side decided to blink. Dak Prescott wanted a four-year deal. Cowboys typically do deals with their top players where they give up, where the players give up at least five new years. Um, that was the major sticking point. I understand where Prescott's side is coming from because he wanted to be in the best position possible to take advantage of the anticipated financial growth in the NFL in the coming years. The salary cap is going to be flat at best next year because of the COVID-19 pandemic and revenues dropping. I anticipate the NFL and NFLPA will eventually come to some agreement where there's not going to be a precipitous drop in the cap next year and losses will be spread out over multiple years. How many of those years? I don't know. But you're going to have new TV or media rights deals at some point. The current TV deals expire after the 2022 season. There's going to be a 17th regular season game implemented at some point before the 2023 season. And gambling revenue is supposed to be an emerging stream where we don't know how much that's going to factor into the equation. But if Prescott does a four-year deal, then the Cowboys have to come to him, presumably after the 2022 season, to extend him. 
the earliest Cowboys would come to extend him if he did a five-year deal would be um, after the 2023 season. It's uh, highly unusual for quarterbacks to play on a franchise tag. Um, it's happened three times since the 1993 CBA implemented the franchise transition tag system. In 2005, Drew Brees did so with the Cow- with the uh, Chargers. And Kirk Cousins played under franchise tags in 2016 and 2017 with the uh, Washington franchise. I kind of put the blame more so on the Dallas Cowboys than Dak Prescott um, for why there isn't a long-term deal. Uh, first of all, the Cowboys did make a good faith offer. When you offer someone in the $35 million per year range, when Russell Wilson is the second highest paid quarterback in the league at $35 million per year, you're showing that you do want to keep the guy. It wasn't a low ball offer, kind of like what happens with, with, with the Redskins with Kirk Cousins the first time he was franchised. $110 million overall guarantees is on par with Jarrett Goff who had the most overall guarantees in NFL contract up until Patrick Mahomes signed last week. Uh, so you can't say Dallas wasn't making a concerted effort to get um, Prescott signed. Now, uh, the question is, what's going to happen um, after the season? Because he's already signed his tender, so he's going to play on the $31.409 million tag this year. Um, he's not going to hold out. That would be counterproductive because he can't sign a long-term deal, and he would be subjecting himself to a fine, mandatory fine of $50,000 per day. As someone who is under contract and signed, he is contractually obligated to perform services, so that goes out the window. He's probably going to get a second franchise tag uh, unless the wheels fall off for him this season or he has some sort of serious injury. You would think that Dallas is going to put the... Uh, exclusive franchise tag on him again. They could put a transition tag on him, but it's going to be for the same money. A second franchise tag is going to be a 20% increase um, over his uh, current tag. So uh, that's going to mean it's going to be $37,690,800. Whether it's the franchise tag, exclusive, non-exclusive, or transition tag. He's getting a 20% increase uh, in 2021 if they try to restrict him in any type of way. Uh, the problem is that from a cap standpoint, that's going to be uh, harder for Dallas to handle next year because this year um, his franchise tag is taking up basically 15.9% of the league-wide um, $198.2 million, $198.2 million salary cap. So let's say you have a flat cap next year, and if you're talking basically 37.7 as a tag in 2021, you're ba- you're at over slightly over 19% for a second tag. And Dallas already has 177 million of cap commitments for 2021, and this is without signing one player from the 2020 draft class. So those guys are going to add to that number. So if you just do the math, if you're already at 177, you got other obligations coming in, and if you had to accommodate a second tag at 37.7 and the cap remains flat, you're going to have to be in a position of restructuring contracts, negotiating pay cuts with players, or releasing some players just to be able to accommodate a second franchise tag uh, for Dak Prescott. Now, if I'm Todd France, uh, Prescott's agent, uh, this time next year, if I get a second tag, that means that Dak has successfully incurred the risk of injury and poor performance. So he's had a good enough year 
above average year. I don't know if it'll be statistically what it did this year. Maybe the Cowboys make the playoffs, maybe they don't. But still, regardless of that, if he gets the second franchise tag, I expect France to use the second franchise tag as a starting point for negotiations in 2021, and anything which was discussed this year is irrelevant and is obsolete. So uh, there's a little bit of history for that. With um, Demarcus Lawrence, who was their franchise player in 2018, and then they franchised him again for a second time in 2019, his second tag number was a shade under 20.6. He ended up signing a long-term deal for $21 million per year, five-year deal. So it seems like the agent uh, used the second franchise tag as a starting point for long-term discussions. Now, if I'm France... Next year, I'm adamant about only signing a three-year deal because my position would be Dak only wanted to sign for four years uh, once his rookie contract expired, played under one franchise tag. So a three-year deal would be in line with that thinking. The problem is, what if uh, Dak decides to start playing the franchise tag game like Kirk Cousins did? It would only be human nature after a while for Dak to start thinking, well, They signed Ezekiel Elliott to a long-term deal before they needed to. And this is a guy where they rewarded negative behavior because Ezekiel Elliott would have off-the-field problems in each of the past two years. They paid Lyle Collins twice. They paid Jalen Smith when he would have been a restricted free agent this offseason when they didn't have to. I've done everything right. I've been the model citizen. I feel disrespected, and the reason why I wouldn't dismiss something like this, I had clients who wanted to be with the team, and as events unfolded and they started feeling disrespected, at some point throughout the whole saga where they're with the team, they decided, you know what, unless I get exactly what I want, I want to go elsewhere. So you could, you potentially could have a situation where Prescott at some point, and I'm not saying this happens, I'm just saying don't dismiss it, that the longer this plays out, the risk of Prescott deciding, you know what, I'll take my chances on franchise tags and go year to year, becomes a greater possibility. So if things get off on the wrong foot next year, maybe he decides, you know what, I'll take my 37-7 next year, I can make 69-1 over two years, then Dallas is going to have to be in a position for a third year to decide what to do in 2022. Um, I'm either going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2022, or they can stick a third franchise tag on me for essentially $54.275 million because that's going to be a 44% uh, raise over um, the second franchise tag. Uh, they had another option as well. They could designate him as a transition player for basically 45-2, which would be a 20% raise over his 2021 number. Uh, but you don't get matching rights, so um, that doesn't wouldn't give you as much uh, protection from Dallas's standpoint um, as opposed to the third franchise tag. So he's looking at the prospect of making just under 123.75 million if he plays the franchise tag game going year to year 20 through 2022 if it got to that point. And if you look at what happened with Kirk Cousins um, playing the franchise tag game, he's essentially made more money than any other player uh, from 2016 through this upcoming season 2020 in that five-year period. 
Um, Cousins is basically at just under $128.4 million going that way. Um, he's also going to get $10 million from the $30 million signing bonus in the extension of this offseason next March, which I'm not counting in this money. Russell Wilson is slightly ahead of him at $128.442 million. The thing is, when Cousins hit the open market, he got that fully guaranteed three-year, $84 million contract, and it was structured in a way where they're going to have to come to him this offseason and redo it because they wouldn't be able to restrict him if he had played out the contract and it expired at the end of this year. So he got a two-year extension at, uh, for $66 million, $33 million per year in March, and that gave the Vikings some cap relief. But Cousins, his... Leverage this situation to where he's made more money than everybody but one player. And if you include the $10 million deferral from the signing bonus, more than anybody else. So that may have some appeal to Todd France and um, Dak Prescott. Uh, we'll stay tuned and see what happens uh, with Dak Prescott. We're going to be talking about this next offseason. It's going to be a topic during the season. If Dak Prescott gets off to a hot start, it's going to be has Dak improved his leverage? If Dak Prescott is playing poorly and Dallas is at the bottom of the standings, it'll be the talk will be, at least in the media, uh, not in the locker room, but it'll be his Dak, did Dak Prescott make a mistake? So uh, it remains to be seen ultimately what's the right decision, but uh, we will be talking about Dak Prescott's situation again um, a lot next offseason because it's going to be a hot topic. Now, the reason that I put more of the blame on the Cowboys and Dak Prescott is the Cowboys, to me, have dropped the ball on trying to get this deal done. Um, Dak Prescott really should have been the top priority or signing priority last offseason after the 2018 regular season. He should have been a signing priority over Demarcus Lawrence, who was on a franchise tag. One thing that Dallas should have tried to do is once Russell Wilson put a clock on his negotiations and wanted to get a contract done before the offseason workout program started in April, the Cowboys should have been rushing to try to get Dak done to beat that deal. He wasn't going to get Russell Wilson money last last year, but Wilson raised the bar from Aaron Don- from Aaron Rodgers, who was at $33.5 million per year to $35 million per year. And if you subscribe to the theory that a rising tide lifts all boats, then that was only going to help Prescott. Something Dallas should have foreseen, in my opinion, is the fact that either uh, Jared Goff with the Rams or Carson Wentz with the Eagles would get a deal done. And the reason I say that is the Rams in particular have a history of doing first-round picks after playing three seasons. They'd done a running back the previous year, Todd Gurley. Previously, uh, Robert Quinn didn't play on his fourth year. Uh, They even did Tavon Austin, which didn't make any sense to me why you do him after three years. So you could have known that Jared Goff would get done. Um, With the Eagles, you can kind of say the same thing because they have done a guy early. Uh, first round pick. They did Lane Johnson after three years and immediately after the season. The playoffs weren't even done that year. They didn't even have to exercise the fifth year option when they got him done. So a wins contract, it's not like it's something which the Eagles had never done before. Those deals are at $33.5 million per year and 32 and some change in average salary for Wentz. So if you beat those deals, 
to the marketplace, you're not talking the type of money you're talking about now for Dak Prescott because he didn't go out and have his best year statistically, even though the Cowboys didn't miss the pl- did miss the playoffs. And there's a lot of evidence that he didn't play well against the better teams. Nonetheless, he did what he needed to do to raise his value from last year. So to me, Dallas kind of dropped the ball and not trying to get this thing done at the earliest possible instance. So that's why I think that there's more blame for Dallas as to why there isn't a contract done as opposed to Dak Prescott. But it also takes two sides to tango, to tango, I should say. And Dak Prescott's contract is something we're going to be talking about uh, this time next year. Can't do anything until the end of the uh, regular season, but it's going to be a predominant story next offseason. Uh, first, to see will he get tagged or not tagged, and then if he is tagged, will a deal get done? So, well, this is going to be the never-ending story if this thing works out the way I think it will, and Dak's going to be a second uh, get a second franchise tag. So, uh, we'll stay tuned and see where this thing ultimately heads. Let's move to the two franchise players who did sign deals. Uh, Chris Jones, the defensive tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs, and Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry. Um, I was always of the belief that it was going to be very challenging to get a deal done with Chris Jones. Um, Because Chris Jones was going to want to be in the same $20 million per year uh, pass rusher club that the Chiefs put Frank Clark in last year when they traded for him after Seattle uh, franchised him. They went ahead and did that. Um, He signed a four-year, $80 million contract uh, with another uh, $5 million in incentives. The threshold for the incentives is he has to get 10 sacks each year to earn $1.25 million for that particular year. Since he had nine sacks last year, initially, the incentives are considered not likely to be earned for the salary cap. So there's no cap charge right now. So let's say this year uh, Chris Jones has 11 sacks. In 2021, there will be a $1.25 million cap charge heading into the season because he did achieve the 10 sacks in the prior season. The the likely slash not likely to be earned concept is based on what you did in the previous year only. The interesting thing about this Jones deal is how Kansas City structured it. Typically, Kansas City does deals where they have a small first-year cap number, a ballooning second-year cap number, where there's a signing bonus, and there's um, a minimal base salary. Jones is already counting on the cap at his $16.126 million franchise tender. That's what he's still counting on the cap for. This is what's called a pay-as-you-go contract, where the cap and salary cap number remain the same each year when you initially sign it. Um, the $16.126 million is fully guaranteed. No cap relief this year. He's making $21.5 million next year, $22.374 million in 2022, and $20 million in 2023. In 2021-$20 uh, million of his money is a third day of the league year roster bonus. Um, it's, so he, And it's fully guaranteed. He's got $37.626 million fully guaranteed through the first two years. In 2021, he's gotten $18.124 million, third day of the roster bonus uh, for the 2022 season, which becomes fully guaranteed in on the third day of the 2021 league year. So 
um, next March, he's going to have $55.75 million um, fully guaranteed. Um, the remainder of his 2022 compensation, the other $4.25 million becomes fully guaranteed in 2022. So he's going to have $60 million through three years. That's what is unique about this contract in terms of how the Chiefs do things, uh, that it is a pay-as-you-go contract and not one where they have the low first-year cap number ballooning second-year cap, uh, ballooning second-year cap number. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, let's go to Derrick Henry. That was a deal which seemed like it wasn't going to get done. Um, there was a push made, and it was done right as we were getting close to the deadline. It's a fair deal for both sides. I think um, the Titans are treating um, Henry fairly. Um, he was playing out a $10.278 million, $10.278 million franchise tag if he didn't get a long-term deal. And he's going to make $25.5 million in the first two years of this deal, which is fully guaranteed. If he had gone year to year, had to incur the risk of injury and poor performance this year, and got to a second franchise tag, he was going to make a little over 22.6. So he's basically about uh, 2.8 million dollars better over the next two years than having to go year to year. Uh, there are no guarantees in the third year, so Tennessee has the flexibility to get out of the contract after two years. He's getting a 12 million dollar signing bonus, three million dollar base salary this year, so his cap number for this year drops to six million. That gives Tennessee flexibility to go sign, more flexibility to sign another player like maybe Jadavion Clowney, who played for Mike Vrabel when um, he was a Texans coach. The interesting thing to me in this deal is that they signed a running back almost 11 years ago. I mean, almost um, a decade ago, the Titans, uh, Chris Johnson, in 2011, after a lengthy preseason holdout. Chris Johnson signed a four-year deal for just under $54 million with $30 million in guarantees. Uh, Derrick Henry, um, nine years later, signs a four-year $50 million deal. There's another million dollars in incentives. He's got a rushing yards incentive in 2022 and 2023 for $500,000 each year for 1,300 rushing yards. Deal max is at $51 million. So almost a decade later, Derrick Henry doesn't get to the level where Chris Johnson was in 2011. So that kind of shows you how far the running back market has fallen. I think what this deal does is it puts a cap on uh, Dalvin Cook's uh, potential contract in Minnesota. They've been negotiating. He's someone who hasn't been satisfied with the direction of where those negotiations were headed and had threatened uh, to hold out if he didn't get what was called what he deemed a satisfactory offer. I think this kind of caps him. Um, That same year when Chris Johnson signed, uh, Minnesota uh, gave Adrian Peterson an extension um, about a week to 10 days after Chris Johnson. It was averaging $14.2 million per year, a six-year extension. Cook's not getting there either, so that's another example of how far the running back market has fallen. Um, those are the only two franchise players that got done. 
There's one more big deal that was done yesterday, that uh, Word Leak Monday, that it was getting finalized. But 2017 first round pick, first overall pick, I should say, Miles Garrett signed a blockbuster extension. He had two years left on his contract, had a little under $19.8 million left in those two years, but he signs a five-year, $125 million extension. He is the first non-quarterback to sign for $25 million per year. He replaces Khalil Mack as the highest-paid non-quarterback. Khalil Mack signed a six-year extension in 2018, averaging $23.5 million per year. There's $100 million overall guarantees. He is the first non-quarterback to reach the $100 million guarantee mark in a contract. Khalil Mack had $90 million um, in his deal. There's $50 million fully guaranteed at signing. That's not the most for a non-quarterback. Khalil Mack had $60 million. And Dominican Sue, when he was a free agent um, several years ago, signed for just under $60 million fully guaranteed. And Aaron Donald had $50 million fully guaranteed. And the extension he signed um, a few days before uh, Cleo Mack. Um, his extension averaged $22.5 million per year. The interesting thing to me um, for Miles Garrett's contract, in addition to the money, is how they structured it. He's got a $21 million signing bonus, but they used the option bonus concept, which not a lot of, te- not a lot of teams still use. Not only that, there are two option bonuses in this contract. Um, That hasn't been done since Joe Flacco got his big deal with the Ravens in 2013 following um, his great playoff run where he led the Ravens to the Super Bowl. Now, if an option bonus, it's treated like signing bonus and is prorated over the life of a contract up to five years in the year the option is exercised. In Garrett's case, he's got a $20.665 million option bonus, which they have to exercise in the first few days of the 2021 league year. Um, That's going to get prorated um, 2021 through 2025 on the cap. And then he's got another option bonus of nearly $18 million in 2022 uh, that's going to get prorated from 2022 through 2026 on the cap. One of the reasons you don't do this structure is you have multiple sets of proration in some of these years. Like in 2022, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, and 2024, there are three sets of proration. The original signing bonus, the first option bonus, and the second option bonus. So if you were to cut him, you're going to have all that proration accelerate onto the but it's just um, an unusual structure um, that you don't see very often. One other interesting metric in this contract is over the first three new years. And by new years, I mean um, he's got two years left on his contract. So it's the new money on top of what he was supposed to make over the new contract year. So that would be 2022 through 2024, how much new money he has. He's got a shade over $80.2 million. Um, that eclipses Aaron Donald, who had $80 million of new money in the first three new years. So that is tops for non-quarterbacks. But there are a couple other things which I also find interesting about this contract, and it relates to the Patrick Mahomes contract. One thing which was very apparent to me in the Mahomes contract is cash flow was extremely low. Um, Garrett's going to make 62.5 from 2020 to 2022, the straight cash over three years. Mahomes is at a shade under 63.1. 
Uh, Mahomes had 27.6 of money left in his deal. Garrett's at about 19.8. So what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> that Miles Garrett's cash flow over the next three years is basically the same as Mahomes. He's going to get $23.75 million more than he would make if he played out his rookie contract through 2021. Mahomes is only getting $6 million more than what he was going to make if he played out his rookie contract. So that just kind of underscores where the Mahomes deal is in terms of the cash flow and how friendly it is from that standpoint. Just looking at the cash flow for Kansas City. Um, I've got an article coming out uh, later today, uh, cbssports.com, my agent's take column. It's going to be uh, frequently asked questions about Dak Prescott's situation. You guys should check that out. Uh, you can uh, also find me on Twitter at CoreyJoel.com, where I'll tweet about cap and contract stuff. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you back here next week for another edition of Inside the Cap.